just making sure this is recording. Trees, 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 trees. We are talking about the trees. Anybody remember what trees we've talked about so far? The fig. Last week we're at home. Come on, Robin. Come on, pastor's wife. Uh, the sycamore fig, yeah, which is a fig tree. It's a little different, but yeah. Anyone else? Any other trees out there you guys remember? Better step my preaching game up. Come on, just think of the easy trees in the Bible. Tree of life. What's the next tree? Tree of knowledge of good and evil. We did one more. The burning bush, right? So we've done we've done the tree of knowledge of good and evil. We've done the burning bush. We have done um, tree of life. We did Zacchaeus two weeks ago. Um, yeah, we just we just keep rolling. Now this week we're going to do probably my favorite tree. Um, it's the it's the it's the fig tree. It's the, it's the tree that that Jesus curses. Um, this last week of his life, um, he's kind of heading in and out of the temple, and he's doing some teachings. Um, and he curses a tree. It's a fig tree. It's the, the passage is called the withered fig. If you got a Bible, it's in Mark eleven. We're going to be in Mark eleven. Um, let me tell you a couple interesting things about this withered fig tree. Uh, most of you guys weren't. No, I don't know. Actually. Most of you were around when the church started. I was thinking, like, we've had a lot of a lot of turnover, but Brian was there, the guns were there, Beckelmans were here. Um, when I started this, when we started this church back in 2011, I was, I was like, really, like, kind of dead set on naming our church the Withered Fig. That was, like, kind of my, that was going to be the name of the church, the Withered Fig. And it was based out of this passage, and this passage for some of the founding families had kind of become a little bit of an inside joke um but there was one particular person who was who was so dead set against me naming it the withered fig right that that person was like seriously eric if you name it this withered fig like we're done we're we're out we're not going to be a part of it so there was almost the early 2011 west garden grove church schism over the naming of the withered fig um, but I do love this name, the Withered Fig. I actually, one of the other kind of funny things is I looked it up this week. I was like, is anybody out there doing the Withered Fig? Uh, there is a men's clothing store outside of kind of Washington, D.C. called the Withered Fig. And I went on and it's just kind of like all curated, like denim, kind of like more high-end stuff. They had a little chat, you know, hey, how can we help you? Can we find anything for you? You know, and I just went into the chat and I said, hey, where'd you guys come up with your name? And they're like, oh yeah, we got it from the Bible. We, we want to be fruitful in what we do. And so I think it might've been the owner or somebody kind of in there. And we were chatting for a little bit about the withered fig. Um, so there is a men's clothing store in Northwest Virginia, kind of like I said about outside of Washington, DC. And I wanted to, I wanted to order some stuff from, from him, but their stuff is just kind of, it, it's like the, the $200 shirt kind of store or the you know the t-shirts that are $95 it's kind of like in that range so it's just all a little too pricey maybe I'll get a pair of socks at some point just so I can um, have some stuff from the withered fig one other quick note about this withered fig passage I taught on this passage the second week that we were at church 
When we started as a church in 2011, one of the first series that I did was this last week of Jesus' life. We started in February, and it was kind of leading up towards Easter. So we taught on this last week of Jesus' life, the Passion Week. Um, and this was one of the passages that I taught on. And this, that was March 6th, 2011. This passage, I would say, is a little bit of a head-scratcher. Okay, It challenges us intellectually. It makes us think. It's kind of difficult for us to comprehend. And so as much as it challenged me back then, I think I was challenged again with it this week. Um, I, I'm going to do this sermon in actually two parts. So I'm going to do it this week. Next week, I'm going to do it again. Um, and so let me say one other thing about next week too. Next week, I'm going to be out of town. I'm going to be in Pennsylvania next week visiting my family. Um, and so what we're going to do, I believe at this moment, is we'll just go to the kind of online gathering. I'll just stream it live from Pennsylvania. Um, so we won't meet physically here in the park, um, but we'll just do kind of a live stream next weekend. So, um, so anyway, this, this sermon series is kind of part one this morning, and then part two I'll do online next week. All that introduction, all that introduction. Mark chapter 11, the withered ladies and gentlemen perhaps the greatest passage in the Bible, in my opinion. The withered fig. Uh, I'm going to start in verse 12. I'm going to start in verse 12. Mark 11, Um, okay, here we go. The next day, as they were leaving Bethany, Jesus was hungry. Seeing in the distance a fig tree and leaf, he went to find out if it had any fruit. When he reached it, he found nothing but leaves because it was not the season for figs. Then he said to the tree, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard him say it. Verse 15. On reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple and began driving out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves and would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. As he taught them, he said, Is it not written, My house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of robbers? The chief priests and the teachers of the law heard this and began looking for a way to kill him, for they feared him because the whole crowd was amazed by his teaching. When the evening came, Jesus and his disciples went out of the city. In the morning, as they went along, they saw the fig tree withered from the roots. Peter remembered and said to Jesus, Rabbi, look, the fig tree you cursed has withered. Have faith in God, Jesus answered. Truly I tell you, if you say to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and do not doubt in your heart, but believe what you say will happen, it will be done for you. Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. And when you stand praying, if you hold anyone, anything against anyone, forgive them so that your Father in heaven may forgive you. Okay, the withered fig. Now, this passage happens actually in two different places, and it's, it's different in both places. It happens in Matthew and in Mark. 
in Matthew, the way that Matthew lays it out, is that Jesus, the first thing that he does is on Sunday, again, this is the last week of his life, on Sunday, this last week of his life, he, he, you guys all know the story, he rides into Jerusalem on a donkey, right? He rides into Jerusalem on a donkey, and then it says on Sunday that he goes into the temple and he clears the temple. Right? And then he leaves, and as G- on Monday morning, he's heading back into the temple, right? So Monday he's going back to do more teaching, and he's heading back into the temple. And as he's going back into the temple, um, in, in one kind of step, he sees the fig tree who is not producing fruit, and he, he withers it, he curses it on the spot, and it kind of withers and dies on the spot, right? So here he's going to kind of curse and wither the tree. And this is in Matthew. Okay? In Mark... What's going to happen is, as we've just read, right, Jesus is on his way to the temple. He kind of sees the tree, um, and this happens on Monday morning. He sees the tree, and he curses the tree, right? And then the second thing that he does, on, um, he, then he goes to the temple, And he, 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 he drives out the buying, the selling, the money changers, right? And then it's actually the next day on Tuesday when they're going back to the temple that they see the withered fig, right? This is the Mark version. Now, the way that the Bible, uh, the way that people talk about it is one of the things that that Matthew's doing is Matthew's kind of dealing with it just like topically, right? So there's, here's the topic of the temple and he, he talks about the temple and then he talks about the withered fig tree. Mark deals with it chronologically. So he just kind of has a little bit of a different, a different turn on it. But these are the two, the two, um, the two versions of the withering of the fig. Now, here is the Jeopardy question of the day. This is worth 500 points in a share of the league. This is the Ken Jennings special. And this, I got to give you a second because I need to erase the whiteboard. Only two times in the scriptures does Jesus use his power um, kind of for destruction, uh, for killing something. This one, when he kills the fig tree, when he kills us with it, when he withers a fig tree, and one other time. Can anybody think about that? Turn to the person and see if you can think about that one. 500 points. Share the lead. I'll give you a clue. It involves animals. The herd of pigs, yes, right? The herd of pigs. So, Brian, <laughs> what is the herd of I, I missed that too. Um, yes, the herd of pigs. Um, when Jesus sees the demon-possessed man, right? 
uh, in the Gesenary region, and he, he takes the demon out of the man, puts it in the pigs, the pigs then rush down the steep bank into the water and are drowned, right? Only two times that Jesus uses kind of his miraculous power, um, I guess in kind of more of a destructive or a killing way. So, uh, here we go. Let's go back to this passage. One of the most confusing, I would say, passages in the Bible, all right? One of the most confusing passages in the Bible, at least for me, specifically the, the, the cursing of the fig tree. Here's why. A few weeks ago, I talked about um, my daughter, Jeanette. There's a fig tree right by our house, right? Um, it's beautiful right now, this fig tree. Anybody have a fig tree or have seen one kind of recently? It's a beautiful, beautiful, and Jeanette's climbing it. All the kids are playing in it. Um, it's just, the, here. actually, I brought a couple fig items for you all to see. This is the beautiful green leafy fig leaf, and the tree's just full of these leaves. Um, but the tree at the moment is, is, is it's stunning. It's green. There's leaves all over it. And the fruit is just kind of coming into season. I went out this morning. My goal was for this morning was actually to bring figs for all of you to have. To have a, I only found one fig that's in season. So this is what an in-season fig looks like. And it is, they are delicious, right? Now, the time that Jesus goes to this fig tree, Passover season, right? Passover um, is, is connected with, with the Christian holiday, with our Easter, right? So just think of Passover when Jesus is doing his, his death and his resurrection, that Passion Week, that Passover week. When does that normally happen? What, for us, what months? March, April. Perfect, right? So the fig trees, right, in March or in April are beautiful. They're leafy and they're green, right? And, and they have all these beautiful... And they also, in March or April, have these guys on them. This is, this is a fig that is not ripe, right? This is kind of that bud. This is kind of, you know, when, when you see the lime or, or the lemons on your tree that are, uh, they're, they're still green. They're not quite ripe. This obviously is what you're looking for, right? So there might have been some of these on the tree, but here's the deal right? Here's, here's, here's what makes it so confusing. These figs don't normally come until really late July, maybe August, right? Jesus encounters this tree in September or in March, maybe April. Um, Jesus is expecting figs, at least in, in verse, let's read verses 12 to 14 again. Go back to Mark, right? Verses 12 to 14, right? So 11, 12 says, um, as the next day as they were leaving Bethany, right? This is Monday morning again. Seeing in distance the fig tree, it's in leaf, right? Fig tree's in leaf. He went to find if it had any fruit, right? Now in March or April, um, and the fig tree was one of the national symbols of Israel. It was one of the most prominent trees that, that they would experience. Um, this fig tree that Jesus would go to, 
it's interesting that he goes there looking for fruit because he would know that there wasn't any fruit. Some people say that you can kind of eat these guys, that these provide some, but it's, it's, it's kind of highly unlikely. So he's looking for fruit, right? But when he reaches it, he finds nothing but leaves because it's what? It's not the season for figs in March or April, right? Then he says to the tree, may no one ever eat from you again. And the disciples heard him say it. The next day he goes back and the tree's withered and dies. Jesus is expecting figs when they aren't in season. And he curses. This is why it's confusing. He curses the tree for not doing what it's supposed to be doing. What is the tree supposed to be doing? What stage is the tree at? This stage, right? And Jesus goes to the tree thinking it would be at this stage and that's why he curses it. Is anybody else confused? Right? It's a confusing passage. And, and again, people have tried to interpret it and spin it and kind of like, what's going on? You know, was Jesus looking for these guys? But, you know, again, Jesus would have known that this doesn't come until, until August, September, even October. And he goes there looking for these guys, finds these guys, and, or actually, he just finds this, right? And is so upset that he kills the tree. So the question is, again, is, as we kind of work through this confusing passage, is Jesus hangry? Right? Is he kind of throwing a fit? Right? Why is Jesus doing this when there's this, this fig tree that's it's doing exactly what it's supposed to be doing in March or April. This is where it's supposed to be, right? It's, it's not July or August or, or August or September where it's supposed to be like this, right? Jesus curses and kills the tree for doing exactly what it is supposed to be doing. We have this kind of seemingly petty and small and upset and hangry Jesus that we're experiencing in this passage. We have the body of evidence of Jesus that he is loving, kind, patient, gracious, right? And, and we have these two kind of competing Jesus and we're like, okay, what's going on? Which Jesus are you here, right? What Jesus is this? Now, I want to explain this passage in its culture and its context. Jesus is doing two things here. One, he's, he's operating within his culture. The second thing is he's operating within the, there's, there's a larger kind of scriptural context that he's operating in. The first, the, the first kind of part here, the culture of it. The culture that Jesus is operating here is, we're going to call it a Jewish prophetic action, right? Prophets, which Jesus was among those. Jesus was, you know, they ask him, Jesus, who are you, right? And, and are you a prophet like John the Baptist? But Jesus claims like he's, he's a prophet, but more. When are we going to have that party? Well, well, Mama still has like five more Ooh, the marble party? Uh-huh. You know who would be a good one to ask about that? Who? Dustin. <laughs> just just push it right off. <laughs> um, so, yeah, 
Um, so a prophet, now sometimes I think about prophets, just, you know, we think about just somebody who tells a future. A prophet is somebody who is seized with a message from God, from Yahweh, and would act out and speak on behalf of, of Yahweh towards those in power, towards the people. So not only would they speak, but oftentimes they would, they would undertake these prophetic actions. So here's a couple fascinating ones. Um, in Ezekiel, right, the great prophet Ezekiel, one of the things that Ezekiel does is Ezekiel, we're just going to call him Zeke, because I heard that Zeke knows how to play football. Yahweh commands Ezekiel, he says, Ezekiel, I want you to go get one of the, one of the Torah scrolls, and I want you to eat it. Like physically tearing that paper, that papyrus up. And Ezekiel does this prophetic action where he, he takes this Torah scroll and he begins to actually physically eat it, right? A prophetic action, just kind of visible. The second thing is a guy named Isaiah. The story, I, I don't even know. Like I've been you know, reading and studying the Bible for almost 20 years. I, I never came across this one until this week. Yahweh instructs Isaiah. Tell me if you've heard this one. He instructs Isaiah to go naked and barefoot. Do you know how long he tells him to do that for? Anybody want to guess? 40 something. <laughs> Three years. This guy, like I said, this was like, this is in the Bible for even for me. Isaiah goes naked and barefoot for three years. Another prophet, Jeremiah. He wears a wooden yoke on like, like, like an oxen yoke. He wears this thing on his shoulders and it, and it symbolizes the oppression of Babylon. So the prophets would often not only speak to power, right? Not only do we have the prophet's words against those in power or against those, um, or towards the people, but often they would just kind of do outlandish things uh, just as a way to, to convey the intensity or the message of God, right? We could think of it too, and I talked about this years ago. It's almost like a visual parable. <laughs> now he's just having fun with it. <laughs> Right? It's like a visual parable where, where, where you would do something visually. Like Jesus, he has all his great parables, right? He has the parable of the prodigal son, the parable of the soils, the good Samaritan. But oftentimes Jesus would do something visually that would make us think, chew, reflect. This, this, this part here in, in, the, in this passage is, it's kind of a prophetic action. It's, it's a visual parable that Jesus undertakes, right? Now, that's the culture. The second thing is the context. When we were just reading in the Bible in Mark 12, um, what was the kind of larger context that it's happening in? The Passover, but what's the, what's the kind of bracketing verses about the, what is Jesus doing? He's clearing the temple, right? Right? So the culture, the culture is this kind of Jewish prophetic action. The context that we have here is, is the temple. 
Now notice how this works too in the temple. Anybody see the film or the, um, the musical Hamilton? Seen it? Anyone? No? Okay. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to erase all this. Um, Hamilton, my wife and I, it took us a little bit to get through it, but we just finished watching it. It's on that, it's on the Disney plus. Um, and it's just, it's just, a, it's a musical. So they have all these, they kind of tell the story of Alexander Hamilton through these hip hop songs. Um, and it's really well done. One of the things that they do in this that I, I've been, I was thinking about as I watched it, and we've been talking a lot about this is they would, they would have this song, but then they would kind of echo back to the song all throughout this, this play. We've been talking a lot about this kind of repetition with variants, right? One of the ways that the Bible writers kind of repeat, but with variety, they, they kind of repeat with, but with variety. If you watch Hamilton, you'll see the way that the writers of Hamilton kind of repeat back to all these things, but with variety, right? So again, the context of the temple. Watch how this works, okay? Bring this over here. Jesus arrives at the tree, right? Jesus arrives at the temple, right? You see this? They're just kind of, the, the writer's almost just kind of repeating it a little variety. Jesus is hungry. But there's no fruit. Right? Jesus going into the temple. Right? Why would you go to church? Why do you go to, to, to a religious service? Right? You go out of some sort of a spiritual hunger. You go out of a longing. Right? He goes to the temple. He's hungry here. He's hungry for the presence of God. He's hungry for worship. He's hungry for sacrifice. And what does he find? No fruit. Right? Um, you, you could kind of spin it a little bit, you know, because maybe there was those little, green, those little green buds on the tree, which are kind of fake fruit. You could say that the only fruit that he's finding in the temple is just people being exploited. Right? It's just the money changers. It's those who are buying and selling. It's those who um, are kind of just using it to get their merchandise through, right? So Jesus arrives at the temple. Jesus arrives at the tree. And then there's this prophetic action. Right? What does he do here? He curses. He withers the tree. Right? What does he do here? He curses, or he, um, the, the prophetic action that he takes on over here. Again, think about the prophets, the way that they would do these things visually. The prophet here, he drives out. Um, we're just going to put money and, um, and, and goods. All the, all the goods and, and things that were being sold here. Right? And then lastly, again, he kind of ends with some words on prayer. Right? Here he ends with words on prayer. Right? You have made um, this. My house was supposed to be a house of prayer. You've made it a den of robbers. 
And then again, at the end of Mark 12, or at the end of our passage in Mark 12, he talks about how to pray the, these ways to pray. So do you, do you see how what Jesus is doing here is he has this kind of cultural that he's moving into, these prophetic actions, but then he's actually speaking into this context. It's kind of the same thing. He's arriving at the tree. He arrives at the temple. He's, he's hungry. There's no fruit. He's hungry. There's no fruit. He has this prophetic action. He curses and he withers his tree. He has this prophetic action. He drives out the money changers and the goods. He has these words on prayer. He has these words on prayer. What Jesus is doing here is he's almost using this withered fig tree as, as, a, as a metaphor, as a visual parable, as, um, as he's kind of speaking and condemning the temple. Again, the tree that's by our house is so beautiful. I wanted us all to sit there so we could look at this tree. And Jesus, what he does all week long, right? from Bethany in, into, the, into the temple to teach, Bethany into the temple to teach. Imagine you're a disciple. Imagine you're one of his followers. And each day you're walking into the temple to go with Jesus to watch him teach. Imagine each day you're walking into the temple, you see this tree, right? Say it's the size of, say it's the size of this tree or this tree. Kind of those are about fig tree size, right? And it's just, it's just withered and died and dead, right? And then you're walking into this temple which is withered and died and dead. There's no fruit in the temple, right? The context and the culture kind of help us understand the passage. Let me just end here. Because <clears throat> um, again, like I said, I want to I get to the prayer part because he does talk about prayer at the end and I want to talk about the prayer part next week. But I want to say this kind of a way to close our time. Um, in Jesus, in, in the temple... Jesus condemns or he judges the temple for not praying, right? That they're supposed to be praying. Uh-oh, we, we lost a leg. Are we doing all right over there? Um, and I want to say this, right? As we have this, as we have this fruit, whoop, Jesus makes, I think, a real clear connection in, in these passages he says that the fruit in our life is connected to prayer, right? The fruit in our life is connected to prayer. Um, he, Jesus talks about this in John, that we will never bear fruit apart from the vine, apart from the Father. We stay connected to God. We bear fruit through prayer, through the vine. And let me end with one other thing about fruit, and this is where we'll stop is this fig tree that's by our house, and I cannot wait. It's going to be in, like I said, it's going to be in season in just a little bit. The point of, the, the point of, we talked about this before, the point of fruit on a tree is for other people, right? The point of fruit is always for others. It does mean no good to have a tree with thousands of figs on it. Literally, a tree by my house, if you need figs. Thousands of figs. It's no point to just have this pile of figs on, on the tree that we can just say, Wow, look at those figs on that tree, right? The point of fruit in our lives, as Paul talks about the fruit of the Spirit, it's always for others. Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, self-control, love. It is for others. The way that we produce and that we bear fruit in our lives is through prayer. So, let's do this. And I wish I could just like give everybody a little piece of this because they're so good, but we'll, we'll have to, I'll bring some at some point this summer. Um, let me close this in prayer, right? 
And a lot of times we kind of do prayer as a generic bookend to the beginning of a service or to the end of a gathering. Um, That is not the point here. That is not the point of prayer as we understand it in the Bible. What we want to do is we want to close in prayer and we want to invite God into our heart and say, God, the areas in my life that I have not been bearing fruit, the areas in my life where it's, it's a nice green leaf, but no one wants to chew on this leaf, right? No one's excited about this leaf. God, I want to invite you into my heart um, to help me bear fruit in new ways. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to give us a few moments of silence for you to have that prayer time with the Lord, right? And then I will close us in a prayer. And I want to pray specifically for us that God's spirit, as we stay connected to him, would bear the fruit that is for others. So take a moment or two and then um, I'll close us in prayer. God, may this moment not just be that just kind of generic, um, sometimes just ritualistic bookend to a church gathering. God, this is people who are seriously hungry to not just be the kind of Christian in this world that looks really nice but has no fruit. God, the fruit that you talk about in Galatians, the fruit of the Spirit, is the kind of people we want to become through your power and through your love and through staying connected to you in prayer. Lord, for those of us who have kind of become, um, we've just become lazy. We've just become apathetic. Our prayer life has withered to our personal needs, to occasional um, occasional Hail Marys, please. Um, God, would you, would you kind of reignite a fire in us to be people of prayer? People who look to you to stay connected to you, to bear fruit for others through the power of the Holy Spirit. For my brothers and sisters that are sitting out here, for my brothers and sisters that are watching online, God, it's a challenge for us. It's a challenge for us to be the kind of people who just simply pray. Thank you, Lord.
Thank you for these words, these challenging words, these insightful words. We thank you so much for our little kids who are running around too. God, fill them with your love and your joy and your peace and your goodness. Protect them, keep them safe, Lord. Thank you. We pray all these things in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's do five minutes of discussion. We got a little five minutes. Um, I got three questions for us. Um, the, the first question is the three P's, as we've always done, the praise, the problem, the pushback, things you've agreed with, um, things you have question with, the problems, and then the pushback, maybe something you didn't agree with, something you didn't quite like. And then the, um, the second question would be, maybe just turn to the person next to you and share kind of what your prayer habit is. How do you engage in prayer? For me, I know one of my favorite things to do is to kind of take a walk and pray, or maybe you have a specific time that you pray. Maybe you pray in the car. Maybe you like to get on your knees. Um, and then if you wanted to kind of just go look into Galatians 6 at the fruit of the Spirit, right? Again, kind of we, we stay connected to God through prayer. The prayer then begins to, to create that fruit in us uh, through the Spirit. Um, and as you think about the fruit of the Spirit, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, love, um, is maybe the one that you feel is lacking in your life. God, is there something that's kind of lacking in my life of this fruit of the Spirit? So let's just do that for five minutes and then we'll, we'll wrap it up. Sound good?